I love that you guys are also giving me ideas about things that, you know, should be addressed and spoken about. Um, I truly believe this, that true missionary work, mission, is actually the confrontation of idols. Um, and so I think for many of us, if we are on mission, whether we're in mission in our uh, corporate offices or we're on mission in the hospitals or we're on mission, great, we got the audio working. Good, awesome, perfect. Um, if we're on mission in the hospitals or we're on mission on social media, we don't, we don't embrace the cultural idols. We actually confront them. We don't coddle them. We confront them and we take the idols and we put them on their heads. That's actually what true mission is. That's what missionary work is. It's having a keen understanding of the idols of the age and of the time and of the space. And when you have a good understanding and a good grip of what the idols are, that's when you have been given the language and the voice to be able to confront those idols and to put those idols on their head. And so, yeah, I, I think it's, a, it's, it's an important topic to talk about is, is idolatry. Um, idolatry is a critical topic uh, to address especially when it comes to social media, especially when it comes to this day and age and this current cultural climate and this cultural moment. Uh, because we all, we think idolatry is simply, you know, the worship of, of, of images. And, and we don't understand that idols are anything that we glorify and esteem as God or above God or that governs our life. Side note, and then we're going to get into our reading today. Um, if you want to identify the idols in your life, they're the very things in your life that govern your decisions. The idols in your life are the things in your life that govern your decisions other than Christ. There you go. Um, and so if you have anything that's governing you, if it's your husband that's governing your decisions, if it's your, there's one thing about receiving counsel, but there's one in which we serve under the banner or the authority of Jesus Christ. So if it is people or if it is people pleasing or if it is power or if it is influence if it is money if it any of those things if they govern your decisions they're a form of idol in your life anyway that's a side note but we're going to get into second kings chapter nine today hold on one second i forgot Sorry about that. Okay, so we're going to get right to it, fam. Uh, we're going to get right to it. We're going to uh, get situated as we spend time in the reading of the word. We're going to spend about today, maybe a little less time than we usually do. But if you are here for the first time, we spend about 20, 30 minutes reading scripture. And then we spend another 20, 30 minutes reflecting on scripture. This is the read and rant. And we've been journeying through the entire Bible. We have been journeying through the entire Old Testament. And we find ourselves beginning from Genesis all the way now today to 2 Kings chapter 9. So I'd like for you to draw your attention there. And we're going to ask three questions. God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? That's the first question we want to ask. And the second question that we want to ask as we listen and quiet our spirits to hear from God through the reading of the word, the second question that we want to ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning people? And then the third question that we want to ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning me? Discern me 
as I read the scriptures. And so that's what we're going to commit to today. Um, we're going to be reading through 2 Kings chapter 9. I'll pray and let's get started. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for the privilege that you've given us to come together, to gather here. Father, I just ask that, Lord, you would impart wisdom upon us, Lord, that you would breathe your spirit, Lord, into this moment, into this time as we engage in your word. Father, I thank you for everything that you're doing. I thank you that you're here. Um, that you never leave us, nor, you for, nor do you forsake us, but that you are ever present even as we gather here. Father, I thank you for every person who's here, who's gathering, who's opening their scripture. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would reveal your heart to them today. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Kings chapter 9, and we will commence at verse 1. And it says this, and Elisha the prophet called one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, Get yourself ready. Take this flask of oil in your hand and go to Ramoth Gilead. Now, when you arrive at that place, look there for Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, and go in and make him rise up from among his associates and take him to an inner room. Then take the flask of oil and pour it on his head and say, Thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. Then open the door and flee, and do not delay. So the young man, the servant of the prophet, went to Ramoth Gilead, and when he arrived, there were captains of the armies sitting and saying, I have a message for you, commander. And Jehu said, For which one of us? And he said, For you, commander. And he arose and went into the house, and he poured the oil on his head and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I have anointed you king over the people of the Lord over Israel. You shall strike down the house of Ahab, your master, that I may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish, and I will cut off from Ahab all the males in Israel, both bond and free. So I will make a house. I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the son of Baasha, the son of Ahijah, the dog shall eat Jezebel on the plot of ground at Jezreel, and there shall be none to bury her. And he opened the door and fled. Then Jehu came out to the servants of his master, and one, and one said to him, it is, is it all well? Why did this madman come to you? And he said to them, You know the man and his babble. And they said, A lie, tell us now. So he said, Thus and thus. He spoke to me, saying, Thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. Then the men hastened to take the garment and put it under him on the top of the steps, and they blew trumpets, saying, Jehu is king. So Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, conspired against Joram. Now Joram had been defending Ramoth Gilead, he and all Israel, against Hazael, king of Syria. But King Joram had returned to Jezreel to recover from the wounds which the Syrians had inflicted on him, which he had fought with Hazael, king of Syria. And Jehu said, if you are so minded, let no one leave or escape from the city to go and tell it to Jezreel. So Jehu rode in a chariot, went to Jezreel, for Joram was laid up there. And Ahaziah, king of Judah, had come down to see Joram. Now a watchman stood on the tower of Jezreel, and he saw the company of Jehu, and he came and, and said, I see a company of men. And Joram said, Get a horseman, and send him to meet him, and let him say, Is it peace? So the horsemen went 
to meet him and said, thus says the Lord or the king, sorry, thus says the king, is it peace? And Jehu said, what have you to do with peace? Turn around and follow me. So the watchman reported saying, the messenger went to them, but is not coming back. Then he sent out a second horseman who came to them and said, thus says the king, is it peace? And Jehu answered, what have you to do with peace? Turn around and follow me. So the watchman reported saying, he went up to them and is not coming back. And the driving is like the driving of Jehus, the son of Nimshi, for he drives furiously. Then Joram said, make ready. And his chariot was made ready. Then Joram, king of Israel and Ahaziah, king of Judah, went out each in his chariot. And they went out to meet Jehu and meet him on the property of Naboth, the Jezreelite. Now it happened when Joram saw Jehu that he said, is it peace, Jehu? So he answered, What peace, as long as the harlot trees of your mother Jezebel and her witchcraft are so many? And Joram returned around and fled to Hazia. Treachery, Ahaziah. Now Jehu drew his bow with full strength and shot Joram between his arms. And the arrow came out at his heart, and he sank down in his chariot. Then Jehu said to Bidkar, his captain, Pick him up. Throw him into the tract of the field of Naboth, the Jezreelite. For remember, when you and I were riding together behind Ahab his father, that the Lord had laid a burden upon him. Surely I saw yesterday the blood of Naboth, the blood of his son, says the Lord. And I will repay you in this plot, says the Lord. Now, therefore, take and throw him on the plot of the ground, according to the word of the Lord. But when Ahaziah, king of Judah, saw this, he fled by the road to Beth Hagen. So Jehu pursued him and said, shoot him also in the chariot. And when they shot him at the ascent of Gur, which is by Eblium, he fled to Megiddo and died there. And his servants carried him in the chariot to Jerusalem and buried him in the tomb of his fathers in the city of David. In the eleventh year of Joram, the son of Ahab and Ahaziah, had become king over Judah. Now, when Jehu would come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it, and she put paint on her eyes and adorned her head and looked through a window. Then as Jehu entered the gate, she said, Is it peace, Zimri, murderer of your master? And, she, and he looked up at the window and said, Who is on my side? Who? So two or three eunuchs looked at him. Then he said, throw her down. So they threw her down and some of her blood splattered on the wall on the horses and he trampled her underfoot. Then, and when he had gone out, gone in, he ate and drank. Then he said, go now, see to this accursed woman and bury her for she is, for she was the king's daughter. So they went to bury her, but they found no more of her than the skull and the feet on the palms of her hands. Therefore they came back and told him, and he said, This is the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Elijah the Tishbite, saying, On the plot of ground at Jezreel, dogs shall eat the flesh of Jezebel, and the corpse of Jezebel shall be a refuse on the surface of the field. <laughs> and the plot of Jezreel, so that they shall not say, Here lies Jezebel. Man. That's, that's some savage. Chapter 10. Now Ahab had 70 sons in Samaria. Yeah, that's right. 
70 sons in Samaria. And Jehu wrote and sent letters to Samaria, to the rulers of Jezreel, to the elders, and to those who reared Ahab's sons, saying, Now, as soon as this letter comes to you, since your master's sons are with you, and you have chariots and horses, a fortified city also in weapons, choose the best qualified of your master's sons, and set him on his father's house, and fight for your master's house. But they were exceedingly afraid, and said, Look, two kings could not stand up to him, then how can we stand? And he who was charged in the house, and he who was in charge of the city, the elders also, and those who reared the sons, sent to Jehu, saying, We are your servants. We will do all you tell us, but we will not make anyone king. Do what is good in your sight. Then he wrote a second letter to them, saying, If you are for me and will obey my voice, take the heads of the men your master's sons, and come to me at Jezreel by this time tomorrow. Now the king's sons, 70 persons, were with the great men of the city who were rearing them. So it was when the letter came to them that they took the king's sons and slaughtered 70 persons, put their heads in baskets, and sent them to Jezreel. Then a messenger came and told him, saying, They have brought the heads of the king's sons, and he said, Lay them in two heaps at the entrance of the gate until morning. So it was in the morning that he went out and stood and said to all the people, You are righteous. Indeed, I conspired against my master and killed him. But who killed all these? Now that nothing shall fall on the earth on the word of the Lord, which the Lord spoke concerning the house of Ahab, For the Lord has done what he spoke by his servant Elijah. So Jehu killed all who remained of the house of Ahab in Jezreel and all his great men and his close acquaintances and his priests. And he left until he left him none remaining. And he arose and departed, went to Samaria on the way at Bethaked of the shepherds. Jehu met with the brothers of Ahaziah, king of Judah. And said, Who are you? And they said, We are the brothers of Ahaziah. We have come down to greet the sons of the king and the sons of the queen mother. And he said, to, and he said Take them alive. So they took them alive and killed them at the wall of Bethaked, 42 men. And he left none of them. Now, when he had departed from there, he went to Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, coming in to meet him. And greeted him and said to him, Is your heart right, as my heart is toward your heart? And Jonadab answered, It is. Jehu said, If it is, give me your hand. So he gave him his hand, and he took him up into the chariot. Then he said, Come with me, and see my zeal for the Lord. So they had him ride in his chariot. Then he came to Samaria. He killed all who remained to Ahab in Samaria, till he destroyed them according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to Elijah. Then Jehu gathered all the people together and said to them, Ahab served Baal a little, Jehu will serve him much. Now, therefore, call to me all the prophets of Baal, all his servants and all his priests. Let no one be missing, for I have a great sacrifice for Baal. Whoever is missing shall not live. But Jehu acted deceptively with the intent of destroying the worshipers of Baal. And Jehu said, Proclaim a solemn assembly for Baal. So they proclaimed it. 
And Jehu sent all sent throughout all Israel, and all the worshipers of Baal came, so that there was not a man left who did not come. So they came into the temple of Baal, and the temple of Baal was full from one end to the other. And they said to the one in charge of the wardrobe, bring out the vestments of all the worshipers of Baal. Goodness gracious. And Jehu and Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, went into the temple of Baal and said to the worshipers of Baal, search and see that no servants of the Lord are here with you, but only worshipers of Baal. And they went in to offer sacrifices and burnt offerings. Now Jehu had appointed for himself 80 men on the outside and had said, if any of the men whom I have brought into your hands escapes, whoever lets him escape, it shall be his life for the life of the other. Savage. Now it happened as soon as he had made an end of the offering, the burnt offering, that Jehu said to the guard or the captains, go in and kill them. Let no one come out. And they killed them with the edge of the sword. Then the guards and the officers threw them out and went into the inner room of the temple of Baal. And they brought the sacred pillars of the temple of Baal and burned them. And they broke down the sacred pillar of Baal and tore down the temple of Baal and made it a refuse dump to this day. Thus, Jehu destroyed Baal from Israel. However, Jehu did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin, that is, from the golden calves that were in Bethel and Dan. And the Lord said to Jehu, because you have done well in doing what is right in my sight and have done to the house of Ahab all that was in my heart, the sons shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. But Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord God of Israel with all his heart, for he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam who had made Israel sin. Goodness gracious. In those days, the Lord began to cut off parts of Israel and Hazael conquered them in all the territory of Israel from the Jordan eastward, all the land of Gilead, Gad, Reuben, Manasseh from Aurora, which is by the river Arnon, including Gilead and Bashan. Now the rest of the acts of Jehu and all that he did and all his might, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? So Jehu rested with his fathers and they buried him in Samaria. Then Jehoahaz, his son, reigned in his place. And the period that Jehu reigned over Israel was 28 years. Ah, Lord, speak to us today. I have so many thoughts. And I'm glad you can see the pictures as you're hearing me read it because I can see the pictures as I read it. Let me just say this, this side note, side note, before I even get to my point today. If any of you are in the film industry and you're looking for some good stories, I don't care if you're a believer or not, (laughs) there are some stories here. (laughs) There are some stories here. And they're good. I'm talking, there's some good stories here. Um, It doesn't get realer, 
right? And the other thing that's interesting, and we talked about this yesterday, about uh, the language of the emotion that is the story that God really institutes this book to us, not in the form of a rule book or a law, but he institutes this book to us in the form of a story. Yeah, tell Dylan, man, tell Dylan to do it. Seriously. Um, just to read through, read through first and second Kings, read through first and second Chronicles. You're going to read some stuff there. I mean, read through first Samuel. read the book of judges. Read. I mean, there's just, there are stories there. And yet the Bible is, is exactly that. It is actually a compilation of stories. That's what the scriptures are. Um, they're an organized historical compilation of stories. Why? Because the story is the thing that the heart remembers. God knows our language because he created us. And because he created us, he wrote his book in the form of stories. You may not remember the things in your textbooks, right? I mean, you, you could go to college, right? How, many, how much of what you've learned in college have you retained? Probably not very much. However, you remember the stories of what happened while you were in college. You remember the stories that were shared to you while you were in college. Something about a story it burns deep within your very soul that becomes a part of who you are because God created us to be uh, consumers of stories. Stories transform us. And so when we read the scriptures, we do a disservice to the purpose of the scripture when we remove the story, when we remove the imagination when we remove the image of what God is doing, because that's the very thing that transforms us. God isn't looking to inform, but he's looking to transform. It's real. I mean, it is real. Uh, this is a story within the big story, and there's so many subplots within the plot. And then we talk about the plot and we talk about the plot all over and over again. If you, this is your first time, you know, t attending and gathering here, go back, check out the read and rant podcast, go back and read through it. And you're going to see that the scriptures were meant to be read as a story. We're the ones who unfortunately turn the scriptures into a book of rules or a law, not realizing that's the story that brings revelation to what God is doing. Um, in his people, through his people, and how God is restoring all things and how God is establishing his kingdom. So we're in we're in Kings, the book of Kings, first and second Kings, first Kings and second Kings. Both of them are two parts of one book, really, the book of Kings. Chronicling these par this particular line of kings that came from David. On the northern region, you've got Israel. On the southern region, you have Judah. Judah and Israel broke up because of Solomon, who, while he had wisdom, Hey, everyone, due to some technical difficulties, our recording was cut off. And so uh, here are some closing thoughts from today's read and rant that I wanted to make sure I shared it with you. About that in the southern region, right? You've got Jerusalem while the temple is there. The, the, the corporeal manifestation of the presence of God. And yet still. They weren't it. In the northern region, you had Samaria and Samaria being the capital of the northern region of Israel. Nothing. It said that the kings did evil in the sight of God. Their evil came out of their compromise. The greatest evil 
Side note, family, because I got a lot of side notes before I get to my note. The greatest evil is compromise. If there's anything that the Lord hates, it's compromise. God hates compromise. He hates people who are wishy-washy, who sway back and forth, who have no conviction. When we find ourselves in idolatrous situations in our lives, we find ourselves submitted to compromise. And when we submit ourselves to compromise, what happens is everything that is evil begins to seep in and to creep into our lives. This is the consequence that we see for every king, both in the North and in the South. They're compromisers. Finally, Jehu shows up. And Jehu, he's that guy. He's not compromising at all. This is savage. This is savage, y'all. Hold on one second. Oh no. Are we good? Can you guys hear me? Hello? Let me know. Can you guys hear me? Oh no. Let's see. Oh no. Let's see here. This is this is funny that this happens all the time. Um, okay, IG people can see me. Um, my TikTok people, I've lost them. I've lost them. All right, let me see if I can. This is risky, but I'm going to try to do it. I'm going to. I'm just going to close with with a final thought because I don't know why this happens. It's always weird how it happens this way. Um, I'm going to try to use the hotspot. If that doesn't work, then it's just going to be IG today. Um, cause I want to close with this thought. If anything, you guys can get it on the podcast. Um, I'm going to do a lot of cleaning up on this one. Um, okay. This isn't working. If the hotspot doesn't work, then forget it. Okay. Um, <clears throat> all right. We're gonna we're gonna stick with IG. Um, we're gonna stick with IG. If anything, it's gonna be posted on the podcast. So anyway, compromise, compromise. And if you missed this, yes, catch it on Patreon. I'm gonna post this right after. I'm gonna do some cleaning up to it, but I'll post this right after. If there's anything that God does not play with, is compromise it's the greatest evil we think of evil as you know murder or 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 you know all these things but all these things are the root the, all these things find their root in compromise 
it's compromise that leads to power, the desire and the thirst for power. It's compromise that leads, that, that comes, or not leads to, but comes from the desire for power, the desire for preservation, the desire for position. This is what happens. This is what happens in all of this. And so we see here that the least common denominator of all the kings up to this point is the fact that they're compromisers. And because they're compromisers, you see this erosion of the nation of Israel that does not now look like a nation that is holy and separate, but looks like every other nation. Looks like every other. And yet what God has been seeking to do through a particular people is to bring the restoration of his kingdom. And yet now they look like all the other kingdoms. <sighs> Compromise. 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 Finally, God anoints this guy, Jehu, who we see now in this particular portion of the text. Jehu is, I mean, this is a savage part of the text. The chief compromiser was Ahab, and he was, of course, the, uh, the one who did the most evil on the side of the, of the Lord. And now we see Jehu who comes in and man, oh man, this is savage. The man is cleaning house. He gets anointed by Elisha in private. That's another word for another day. And then he starts cleaning house. I'm talking about he gets rid of Ahab, the king of Israel up north. Then he gets rid of um, Joram the king of Judah in the south. And he gets rid of all of Ahab's and he gets rid of all of, of, uh, of, 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 of Ahab's, um, his, his entire house. And, and then Jezebel gets murked. Um, Jezebel gets destroyed. And what was prophesied over actually transpires. Then he goes and he kills family, Ahab's family and everybody who's associated with him. And this guy, I mean, this is savage y'all. This is savage when you look at the text. I mean, it is crazy when you see it. Then he goes into the temple and there the worshipers of Baal invites them to a, a conference and a holy convocation of sorts and brings them all into the room and then murks all of them. I'm talking about this man was cleaning house. He was getting rid of every remnant of compromise. Then Ahaziah, not Joram, sorry, not Joram, but Ahaziah, the Ahaziah, the king of Judah is killed as well. This is some crazy, guys, this is a movie. It is a straight up movie. Then he goes in and he destroys the worshipers of Baal, kills them. I find it interesting in verse 28, chapter 10, verse 28, when it says, thus Jehu destroyed Baal from Israel. At that moment, Jehu has destroyed Baal from Israel. Winning. Winning. Notice what Jehu had to do to destroy Baal. To destroy Baal, Jehu had to destroy the pillars of the temple of Baal. He had to destroy and tear down the temple of Baal. 
and then he destroyed the people who served in the temple of Baal. Funny, Jehu goes into the holiest, their holiest of places and destroys the priests of Baal. Pay very close attention, family, because this is where it gets real. What Jehu has done is he's destroyed the cultural institution of worship. Because what Jehu has done is he's pulled down the pillars of the temple. He's torn down the temple and he's gotten rid of the priests. Religion can be identified by the temple, the priest, and the sacraments. He has destroyed the temple and doing so has destroyed the pillars, the sacraments. And in doing so, he destroyed the priest. He got rid of religion. And in that moment, he destroyed Baal. Because what Baal is, is the spirit of religious idolatry. Oh, that's something to celebrate. Jehu comes against the demonic forces of the institution. He comes against the, the, the demonic forces that come against God, the, the worship of these false idols. And, and so he pulls down the temples and the pillars and the priests. He did that for Baal, but he did not do that for Yahweh. Verse 29, pay very close attention, family. However, Jehu did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. A few chapters ago, that we read a few days ago, who made Israel sin from the golden calves that were in Bethel and Dan. He destroyed the idols of Baal, but he did not destroy the idols of Yahweh. His great failure was that he destroyed the religious institution of the non-religious or the non-Christian or the non-righteous of Baal, the Canaanite gods. but he didn't do it for his God, Yahweh. Remember what the golden calf was, and I'm done. Remember the golden calf. We saw this already. We saw this already. We saw this before. We saw this at Mount Sinai. We saw this when the children said they hadn't seen Moses. We saw this, that they had created a golden calf. They built a golden calf, shaped it from, from fine, fine metals, from gold. They shaped it, and they made it into a calf. Remember, the calf was the image of a Canaanite god. And because it was the image of a Canaanite god, what they did was is they found an institution, a structure, a thing to worship. 
that was other than Yahweh, other than the one true God. Baal was a spirit of idolatry, one that sought to to worship the things mankind creates rather than to worship the creator. And isn't that the tendency that we all have? Don't we all have the tendency to worship the things the creation, the created create rather than to worship the creator? Don't we have a tendency to worship preachers and pastors and worship priests and institutions and to seek positions and power and titles? Isn't it funny how our churches today look very much like pagan temples and pagan institutions? with pagan idols will worship the Virgin Mary will worship the Saint Paul's and the Saint John's will worship all these images and we won't worship unless we walk into temples and buildings not realizing that we have shaped golden calves that we have now attributed to Yahweh, to Yeshua, to Jesus. Oh no, we do the first part of what Jehu did. Oh yeah, we'll call against the demonic forces. We'll call against the forces of the enemy. We'll call against satanic worship. We'll call against the, the idols of culture and society. We destroyed Baal, but not realizing we recreated Baal inside of the church. Verse 29, however, Jehu did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat who had made Israel sin. <laughs> Did you hear this family? You know, and I'm closing. I, I could be here all day. I'm sorry if we had so many distractions today with everything that's going on with the internet and everything else. But family, I, 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 if, I can, if I can be candid with you, if I could be forthright with you, my biggest pain point about the church today is that we've been fixated on buildings and structures and preachers and pastors and sacraments and sacrificial orders and doctrines, ideologies. We try to make church cool. We try to make church fit when it doesn't work in one way. So we cater a church that's attuned to our palate and our senses and what we want and what we desire. And so now we don't have the church. We simply have a temple where people walk in and they have no power of the Holy Spirit. 
They, they, they actually feel powerless. The evidence of it is that there are many people that still feel like they need to go to a priest to pray. And there's some people who don't feel the presence of God unless they show up to church in a building. And there are people right now who, if they confront any kind of spiritual attack, they feel powerless in it because they were never, they never had power. They were never instructed to know who they are in Christ and to know that the authority, the authority that they have and the power that they have. And so they live these spiritually dead, powerless lives only to show up the next week to get another Ted talk about something that the Bible said. No power. I like that. Sermonized TED Talks. Because many of us, while we destroyed, and this is just with the Pentecostal movement, and this is with the Protestant movement, these are with the Lutheran movements, this is with the, the all the other movements that we've seen in church history, that they broke away from the Catholic Church thinking that, hey, we broke away from bad doctrine and bad theology and bad ideology. We thought that, but then we brought all of the idols of Catholicism even into our churches. We don't do communion unless we go to church. We can't baptize unless we're dressed in white. We can't baptize. Only a priest and a minister can do the baptizing. We become powerless people who sit on the pews just to receive spiritual goods from the spiritual professionals. Jehu started off well. He didn't finish well. Another king who's not the king started off well. And yeah, it's messy. I can tell you that. It's messy. But even then, he still didn't finish well. Jehu's method of justice is in Jesus' method of justice. Jehu murking and killing all the, the, the family of Ahab and all of the family of, of uh, um, the king of Judah, all of them, even then, wasn't it? Because it was still about power. It was still about politics. It was still about influence. These stories, I want you, when you read them, I hope what's happening as you're reading this is you're really you're realizing that none of these men and women that we read in the Bible are made out to be heroes in the way that we make them out to be. But rather, they're to be seen as human beings who didn't measure up to the king that is to come. And that Israel is still awaiting a king. That's the tension we are here. And so, yes, it ends with Jehu dying. But he doesn't die in victory. He dies in defeat. Verse 31, but Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord God of Israel with all his heart. For he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam family. The sins of our fathers, we need to depart from it. That's my conviction today. We need to depart from the sins of our fathers, the sins of our mothers, the sin of compromise, the sin of politicizing religion, 
the sin of religious idolatry, the sin of going to church on Sunday, and that's all you need to do, the sins of, of, of institutional Christianity. We need to, we need to, we, we need to depart from the sins of Jeroboam because if we don't, then we become our parents and we suffer their fate. Father, I just ask that you would convict us today. Lord, we, we're still trying to figure this out. Um, you know, even as I come before you, I have so much conviction about these things that, that are being revealed in this. And even with all this conviction, Father, I grew up in church. <laughs> I grew up in church. I've seen the good in, in, in church. I've seen the good and I've seen the bad and I've seen the ugly. I've seen all of it. But it's hard for me to break from this. Even as I come with all this conviction, I'm still at times, Lord, finding myself pulling back. <laughs> so, Lord, I just ask Lord, that you would be with us, Lord, all of us, Lord, who are confronted with these challenges right now, the challenge of, of what to do and how to do it. Lord, give us grace. Give us grace, Lord. And then, Lord, give us the grace to be bold and to move in what you're calling us to move into. Lord, we thank you for your patience. We thank you for your love. Uh, but Lord, we're also believing, Lord, in a new revival, in a new renaissance, in a, a new beginning for our church and for our people, that we'd move in your power, that we would be the temple, not simply people who would go to the temple, that we would walk in your ways, that the world may know you. And we say that in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, I'm, I'm, I apologize today. I know it's kind of weird with all the issues going on with the internet and everything else. Um, but I thank you guys all for being here. We're going to continue on. Um, this one's kind of heavy for me, so I'm, I'm going to be digesting this throughout the entire day. This one's really heavy for me. But I do want to say this, guys. Thank you. I want to thank all of you who are supporting. I can't wait to do the Revelation Bible study. It's in two weeks. No, a week and a half. It's in a week and a half. Um, we're going to do a Bible study on Revelation, the most misinterpreted book in the Bible. <laughs> um, and so uh, misunderstood and misinterpreted book in the Bible. So I'm excited about that. Um, and so, yeah, and thank you guys. For those of you who are patrons who are supporting, thank you. The link is in the bio. So if you're interested in learning how to support to help provide the resource for us. Guys, by the way, um, you know what? Maybe I'll show you guys in a video on Patreon for all the patrons who support on Patreon. I might show you all, all the stuff that your support is doing. It's because of your support that I was able to get a new desk. Um, I'm getting a, a camera set up and a, a new light. I'm getting a new light set up as well um, to be able to, uh, to broadcast, to do it in a very you know, effective way um, for our broadcast when we do it at the end of this month. So um, I'm always looking to provide you the best presentation as, as possible. And so um, it's your support that does that. You guys are the ones that make that possible. And so uh, I want to thank you all. Thank you all for your support. But yeah, if I can hold on, let me see if I can do this. Um, 
but yeah this is yeah this isn't this isn't gonna work never mind i'm not even gonna try it um because it's completely dark in that corner but i'm setting it up right now i actually i came i came early this morning to set up the table got a brand new table um uh got new stands and and materials to be able to get it going so guys the 28th at 8 p.m i look forward to to journeying with you guys to the book of revelation um and uh and also, I know that some of you guys want to do the Bible study on the church. What is the church? And I'm excited about that as well, because um, that will be the Bible study we'll do after Revelation pretty soon. Because you guys, more and more of you now are committing to to um, to the uh, to supporting. Um, we're getting very close to me just doing this every week where we're doing a Bible study every week. This isn't a Bible study. This is just a, a meditational reading. But for many of you. Uh, because you guys have supported, I think I'm going to end up just going into the weekly studies, uh, even if we don't meet our goal yet, because we're getting closer and closer to our goal of patrons. But you guys have made it possible for me to make more time and carve out more time to do this. So, guys, anyway, thank you so much. Thank you for the the the. Um, the badges as well. Um, your support means everything. It really does. It's a big deal. Um, it's something that my wife and I have been praying about. Just a quick side note. Um, I I was a full-time faculty member at the University of Miami and, um, uh, and at Florida Atlantic University as well. And it's just something that we had to step into. We prayed in faith and said, you know, Lord, you know, what do you want us to do next? And I remember when I left the University of Miami and left my commitment there um, you know, we just said, Hey, we're going to trust the Lord with our savings right now, whatever we had that we were sitting on. And we're just going to step out in faith and go where God is calling us. And so, um, the fact that you guys are supporting, you have to understand that this is every time you guys give, every time you support, it's just the Lord confirming to us that he's bringing people alongside us to make this vision a reality. 